Hello, everybody. Good afternoon. I am Neil Kulong, your host today for the New Standard Podcast. Our fearless leader, Lance Williams, is on assignment today off somewhere else in the world. I will let him tell you all about that when he gets back, but it does involve covert undercover journalism in some third world country. I don't even have all the details, but uh, we will miss Lance. We hope he is doing well. We're here to talk Steelers. Steelers football, that's what it's all about, right? I am excited for this season. I am excited for what is left of the offseason. We are just smack dab in the middle of the most boring time of the year. We do have, however, the excitement of the Steelers signing free safety, all pro free safety, Minka Fitzpatrick, to what it tantamount to a five-year, $84 million contract this past week. We'll chime in with applause later on in the rewatch. But um, yes, a very exciting deal for the Steelers. One that I really don't think uh, was much of a surprise. I think it, it's something that we should have expected. Um, it, early on in Minka Fitzpatrick's career, what we saw of him in Miami, uh, incidentally, with uh, now Steelers linebacker coach, Brian Flores running the defense down there um, really was a, a player who was out of his fit. He was out of his element. He was used in a lot of different ways. Um, he played that season and early, I should say that the second season that he was there early on um, in his second season, it didn't look good for anybody in Miami. Um, not a good situation at all. For whatever reason, they decided to unload Fitzpatrick, uh, one of the better all-around defensive back prospects I think we've seen over the last couple of years, uh, for a first-round pick to the Pittsburgh Steelers, a, a move that some recall uh, being uh, not especially well-received right away, considering uh, at that point the Steelers didn't look very good. There was concern that um, trading away a first-round pick was giving away a top-10 pick, and it ended up um, truly and honestly with Minka Fitzpatrick was legitimately one of the best defensive players in the game that season. I think he had seven interceptions, many of which uh, helped propel a, a legitimately the, the worst offensive team in the NFL that season to a couple wins that they probably shouldn't have had. That's going to be a recurring theme today because we're going to talk about the Steelers offense a little bit later. But as far as Minka's impact, he is a, a, as good a true center fielder i think the nfl has seen um in in quite some time and i legitimately feel that ed reed is a valid comparison for him the way he plays the game the way he studies the game um it doesn't mean that he is not without his flaws there are a few issues i think he still has to work out but let's keep in mind they just signed a five-year uh, they signed an all-pro player who's 26 years old to a five-year contract overlapping that with the three years remaining on TJ Watts deal and whatever they can get left of Cam Hayward, they have a, a very strong nucleus on defense that they can continue to build. Now they've, they've made changes there uh, certainly in the middle of their defense, their, their inside line linebacking group has been completely overhauled um, with coaching and a new starter and hopefully a, a, a fresh start for uh, a veteran incumbent um, should be star player that isn't happening right now. But if, if you look at their defense over the next three years, they've got playmakers in place. Uh, they have up and coming talent. They've loaded up in their secondary as far as veteran personnel. 
and they still have they they will still have money on next year's salary cap and draft picks to help bolster whatever they might need. So you're looking at a a, a team that is really the, the Fitzpatrick signing is really kind of the cornerstone now of the team's typical commitment to its defense. And um, I, I don't think Fitzpatrick being made the top paid safety in the game is anything that uh, anybody will really kick up a fuss about. <clears throat> the average per year, I believe, is 18.4 million, which tops the now kind of ridiculous and silly contract that Seattle gave Jamal Adams. Uh, two years ago, uh, considering what the two have done over the last two years, it's not even close. Which of those two is the better player? I don't think Adams is even a top five safety in the league anymore. And that might even be a, a bit of a stretch. So um, it, it, a very solid move for the Steelers. Fitzpatrick has put together a highlight reel on his own in a very short amount of time in Pittsburgh. And he looks to, to be a, a building block uh, for what also looks to be a, a schematic shift for the Steelers into putting a, a, a pretty significant amount of resources into their defensive secondary. Um, Terrell Austin, Terrell Austin took over um, as their defensive coordinator this past year, replacing the retired Keith Butler. And in doing that, the Steelers have put a lot of NFL experience and wisdom with defensive secondary play into their, their coaching staff. Um, in doing that as well, they lock up Brian Flores, um, obviously a very accomplished defensive coach. Um, a, a, in fact, a head coach who probably should still be a head coach um, in, in, in many regards. Having that level of veteran leadership um, among their coaching staff is only going to reap benefits. And the the key thing to all of this, I would say, is it, it's it's a team that has always prided itself on defense has always had star players on defense, and they're recognizing that. Two years in a row, the big contracts that they give out are to internal uh, defensive players, both of both of whom are first-round draft picks. Um, the Steelers gave up a pick in the 20s for Fitzpatrick. They drafted T.J. Watt with uh, the 30th overall pick. They are looking to continue to bolster that side of the ball. I'll pause for breath looking over your comments. It's great to have you guys here. Happy Father's Day weekend to those who celebrate. In case it matters to anybody out there, my name is spelled N-E-A-L, not I-L. The Irish way, Gaelic way, I should say, not the English way. Not that that matters at all. A couple things I wanted to bring up um, since Lance turned the reins over to me and is now our most frequent commenter right now. Can't do the show, but he can... He can help out. That's how great of a guy Lance is. A couple things I wanted to bring up, and you'll forgive me. It's June. I'm used to having a partner doing this. I think really from this point on, the end of minicamp, which really didn't tell us anything, um, the narrative surrounding this team post-minicamp, pre-training camp, is the quarterback position. And when I say that, of course, what I'm talking about is mediocre Mitch Trubisky versus 20th pick overall Kenny Pickett. It seems, and, and you guys tell me if I'm wrong here, it seems this is essentially something that has been decided. There is absolutely no doubt Trubisky will be the team's starter in week one. I'm going to get crazy for you today. What, what if I suggested 
regardless of the rhetoric that that Mike Tomlin spews as the the as the perfect spokesperson for the team, as the savvy political navigator as he is, the king of the soundbite. What if they are not legitimately 100% committed to the idea that Trubisky will absolutely start for this team? In preparing for this, I had a conversation with a couple people. You might remember Doug Farrar. He's my touchdown wire editor um, among uh, the NFL Wire Network on USA Today Sports Media Group. An elite football mind is Doug. Doug is also a... Uh, diehard Seattle Seahawks fan. Yes, we have argued Super Bowl 40 many, many times. We were talking about this just the other day. You might recall, um, it was it 2012? I think it was. The Seahawks had signed a uh, Packers backup with a good amount of experience, Matt Flynn, to something that sort of resembled a, a starting NFL quarter, quarterback's contract. They drafted wisconsin's russell wilson in the third round that year it became obvious enough to pete carroll and his staff during um, training camp that wilson was simply better than flynn was and he should be their starter he started for them kind of got off to a rocky start he improved throughout the season team was in the playoffs he performed pretty well in the playoffs wilson would go on to win one super bowl and come extremely close to winning a second super bowl and is now among the highest paid and highest respected quarterbacks in the game I am in no way, shape, or form suggesting that Kenny Pickett is Russell Wilson. I will say Russell Wilson was drafted in the third round for, some might argue, cosmetic reasons. <clears throat> um, his height probably didn't help. You saw a lot of talent out of Wilson. Did he have the, the, the premium traits to be a, a first-round pick? Lots of teams, including the Seahawks, didn't think so. He won the battle and never looked back. Fortunately, he did not play against the Steelers, and the Steelers still needed overtime to beat Geno Smith this past year. But not going up against Russell Wilson is usually a, a, a solid thing for, for most teams to have going for him in a game. Wilson showed in camp, in whether, whether you think it was a legitimate competition or not, he showed reasons why he should be the team starter. Let's fast forward to now. Our buddy Mitch Trubisky signs a two-year, I think it's $15 million deal. The second year is as painless for the Steelers to get out of as, as a mosquito bite. You could essentially call it a, a one-year contract. And if he shows that he can do something, that they have the ability to make it uh, to, to take on that second year, but it would not cost them anything to get rid of him in a year or two. That's not a huge show of support. If Trubisky is on the level, as many have suggested to me that he is, they probably would have wanted to lock him up for a little bit longer, and that probably would have cost a bit more money because he's Trubisky's not going to sign a, a, a low-dollar four-year contract. Maybe that's all he's worth on the market. Um, that could be because he's, well, not very good and hasn't been. I don't I don't know the, the details of the negotiation. I'm not sure how that all worked out. But what I know is the team logically isn't likely to have expected Pickett to have fallen to number 20 overall. 
I didn't expect it. I read mock drafts with people that that thought that they would take him if he was there. Generally speaking, it, it wasn't out of line that he was going to fall. I don't think it was something they banked on, except to say, if Pickett is there at 20, we'll take him. And we know that because, well, that's what they did. A two-year, which is essentially a one-year deal for Mitch Trubisky at $7.5 million in year one is in no way, shape, or form insurance uh, for, for him that the team is not going to draft a quarterback. In fact, the Steelers drafted two of them, um, one to replace Mason Rudolph and one to, I would think, compete to some degree with Mitch Trubisky for the starting job. So Kenny Pickett comes in. He's, far as I know, healthy, ready to compete in training camp. I'm not looking at minicamp. That, that's not an in indication of anything. Mike Tomlin has said many times um, the OTA sessions and minicamp is meant to teach players what to expect come training camp and the things that they're going to do so they can prepare themselves accordingly. It's not an evaluation period to a large degree. Makes sense. You hope that's the case. Why is it that Mitch Trubisky is anointed automatically the starting position. I'll concede this. On paper, the rookie drafted 20th overall, not second, not third. The rookie drafted 20th overall isn't getting the benefit of the doubt. He has, it, it, it can't go to the judge's scorecards. He's got to knock him out if, if he wants to win that fight. Don't have a problem with that either. Why is it though that we have deemed Mitch Trubisky unbeatable in that position? Why is Kenny Pickett totally incapable of coming in, outperforming Trubisky in what is essentially a completely new offense? Do we really feel that there is no way uh, it, it, in, in any scenario, Kenny Pickett could not be the team's starting quarterback in week one? Let's start with this. And I've made light of this on social media. If you happen to follow me on Twitter at Neil Kulong, feel free to do that. Hashtag Canada's offense appears at this point to be something of, of mythical legend. It was something that I have been told repeatedly. All the ins and outs and the nuances and the details of it while he was coaching at the University of Maryland in 2016 with a different set of rules for a lot less money with a lot less talent. I don't think NFL offensive coordinators carry around a thin notebook of, of magic plays like in the water boy. I think what happens is they draw up plays looking to implement their offense based on personnel, um, future direction, their team philosophy, what they want to do, which is not something set by the offensive coordinator. They are receiving information. They are compiling it. They are, are synthesizing it and drawing up what they want to do. Yes, there are shades of things that coaches want to do year in and year out. But what was Matt Canada's job last year primarily? Was it to implement this, this mythical offense that was so successful in college he never landed a head coaching job and kind of bounced from one thing to another um, only to, to find himself as a quarterbacks coach in the NFL or was Matt Canada there to help facilitate 
a veteran legendary quarterback who had to take a pay cut to stay last season. And very likely with that said, if I'm going to take less money, I'm going to do what I want to do. Matt Canada, Sean McVay, Mike Shanahan, Bill Walsh's corpse, they'll all tell you play action passing and motion helps your offense overall. Okay. Canada incorporated a bit more motion. The Steelers did not run much play action. Ben Roethlisberger did not like running play action. That's why they didn't run play action. Believe it or not, and some people disagree with this, Matt Canada, the the first-year offensive coordinator, does not have more scratch than Ben Roethlisberger. He doesn't get to come in and tell Ben how to play the game. Ben came back to help the team, and the team kept Ben. There's a mutual thing that's going on there, and his salary was stuck at the middle of it. He was not able um, to be released outright to the, the betterment of the team. They had to have Ben. They could not have him at that salary. If he was going to take that salary, he was going to want certain concessions. And a lot of that was, let's run the offense the way that I can can program and run the offense. Okay, put that to the side. Let's get back to hashtag Canada's offense. What have we seen to suggest this mythical offense is just waiting in the wings and they were completely unable to run anything with it solely because of the quarterback who was there. Now, what I just said fits with that. I understand that the the physical limitations as well as kind of a professional stubbornness of the quarterback can get in the way of that. But if the Steelers are sitting on this magical offense that is so productive, that is so lethal at the NFL level, why is it that Canada was sitting available for as long as he was. He couldn't do anything to produce points with what he did have last season, and he didn't. Don't don't suggest that he didn't. If all of the, the personnel is so bad surrounding uh, this, this offensive scheme, if everything is so brutally terrible, which, to be honest, I, I think is a fair question, how is it that the change, the, the trade-out of Ben Roethlisberger's mind and his arm is less of a whole sum than the arm and the mind of Mitch Trubisky? Does that make any sense to anybody? I, I really don't see it that way. What I see with Mitch Trubisky is a player that, for some reason, was taken second overall, and a large part of that is the the leverage of not having a quarterback from the Bears. They needed a, a quarterback. I don't think that they made the right choice. I don't think we saw enough of Trubisky. I didn't think Trubisky was all that impressive anyway. I think what they saw in college was a big guy with some mobility who could throw the ball a little bit. Therefore, he's a great quarterback. There's a line in the opposite direction of the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, lined with guys who look like quarterbacks who can't play the position. That's Mitch Trubisky, okay? If that is not the case, if we are putting everything into this this bizarre random connection of Mitch Trubisky being an alternate to the Pro Bowl in 2018, four years ago, and Matt Canada's offense, which has either 
not succeeded at all ever in the NFL, or it wasn't good. One of those two things. The marriage of Mitch Trubisky within this mythical offense is somehow enough to suggest this team is going to vault considerably ahead of where it was last season. I'm having a tough time putting that together logically. Maybe you guys can help me out. What I think is this. <clears throat> I think Mitch Trubisky has a, a something of a mobility advantage over Ben Roethlisberger. But I also don't really think that that level, it, I don't think mobility is going to be that big of an advantage unless you are a Lamar Jackson level athlete. Trubisky is not Lamar Jackson, okay? Trubisky, if the edge is not contained, can escape the pocket, can run diagonally toward the sideline and get a first down. He can't juke anybody in the middle of the field. He can't make plays on his own to a, a significant degree. Can he, he, he's a big guy. Can he move, shake a little bit, use leverage, fall forward for four, four or five yards? Yeah, great. You're not scoring points with that. And the thing is, for all the hate that Matt Nagy gets, and to some degree it's fair, the former Bears head coach who was responsible for the development of Mitch Trubisky, Nagy ran bootlegs, play action, all sorts of things to get Trubisky outside the pocket, and in turn doing that, get his body moving away from the line of scrimmage, angled toward the sideline, and cutting off half the field from his vision. What you're doing with that when you're, you're uh, as an offense, what you're doing with that is you are cutting down the amount of options that your quarterback has to throw to. You are also telling the defense, we don't care about the back half of this play at all. We're only looking at this narrow window here, and we're going to throw the ball the second that it's open. So really, you're only putting two guys into that, that window in order to, to, to complete a pass. And if it isn't there, he's going to run. That is a very basic, vanilla, bland, ineffective offense to run over time. And we know that because if you look at Mitch Trubisky as a whole, don't just cherry pick his one season with some stats where he was a, a Pro Bowl alternate. Look at him as a whole. He was shut down in several games that he played. For any one decent game he had, he had four bad ones. And it's because he is not a dynamic player. He doesn't have the ability to make you have to balance both sides of the field in order to, to shut out a passing game. He's going to look at one or two things or he's going to run, and that's it. As a defense, when you know that's going to happen, you're not incredibly hard to defend. I don't think in, in any way, to switch gears slightly, that Kenny Pickett is sitting uh, as the backup, potentially, I guess, possible third string. I mean, I can't rule out entirely that they won't get rid of Mason Rudolph, although I would bet a lot of money that, that they will. I am not going to sit here and tell you that that Kenny Pickett is the next coming of Joe Montana or Russell Wilson, like I mentioned in, in my completely disconnected analogy at the beginning of this rant. I don't think that he is. I don't think that he is going to be that level of, of player. I do think for the position that he is in right now, his talent level versus what we have seen of Trubisky playing in an actual offense that's been run in the NFL, 
not Canada's world world record breaking offense at Maryland in 2016, not this thing that doesn't exist. In what they have right now, I don't see that Kenny Pickett going into this is demonstratively worse than Mitch Trubisky is. Now, here's a question to, to, to ask, and I, I'll, I'll play the veteran side of this. I will lean with the veteran, all things being equal. All things are never equal, though, especially not at the quarterback position. The veteran experience is going to have weight in this. The real question would be, and let, let's, let's pick one or the other. Put it in your mind. This is the one that you either think will be the starter or will be the starter, or you'd rather have the starter. Put one of them in the starting role right now in your mind. The real question, and this is not something that, that bodes well for, for a Steelers offense that has fairly put a lot of money into to trying to uh, develop a, a bit more explosion than they had last year. How long would it take? What would it take? What would the scenario need to be, barring injury, put injuries aside, in order to bench one or the other? And this comes from a conversation that I had with uh, Matt Latimer yesterday. Matt Latimer is the social media manager of Steelers Wire, um, the USA Today site that I started back in 2015 and oversee along with uh, 33 other sites today. Latimer is one of the best social media guys in the business. You'll love Steelers Wire, Twitter and Instagram, Facebook. Check them out. What would it take? for either one of them to be benched at whatever point, because the, I would imagine the common suggestion is Tom, Mike Tomlin has not really had to worry about that at various points of his career, right? It, Tomlin showed he had a pretty damn quick hook when it came to Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges, didn't he? He bounced those two back and forth like ping pong balls during the, the 2019 disaster. And to be fair, with, with pretty good reason, and pretty good results. I think we saw a better quarterback come into the game when each of them were benched. Now, having to navigate a season with concussed Mason Rudolph and something called Duck Hodges is part of Mike Tomlin's resume that I'm sure he doesn't want, but people just simply don't give enough credit to. Do you realize how close that team was to going to the playoffs? They have the worst quarterback situation in the NFL probably in the last five, six years. Very impressive that they were able to get the kind of run out of those two that they did. Um, and Ben wasn't even good in week one. His elbow was clearly hanging by a thread anyway. They didn't have a good quarterback in any game they played that season. I'm not sure they'll have a good quarterback in any game they play this season. What I know is we have seen Mike Tomlin apply a quick hook. He's had to play. Rudolph was technically a second-year guy, but Hodges was a rookie. Um, he's had to play the younger quarterback, and he's had to lead over a team that has to go with an inferior option of quarterback. He's going to get a lot of that this season. I, it's a better position for sure. I, I think Trubisky and Hodges, or Trubisky and Pickett is definitely a much better set of choices than. Rudolph or Hodges, but is he sold to the veteran who's on what's essentially a one-year deal, or is he sold on the guy he just took 20 overall that, if, if we are now to believe 100% of everything they said, 
they knew really well. They did see around the building all the time. They had conversation with all the time. They were so excited that he was able to fall that far that they sprinted to the podium to take him. What is Trubisky going to do that we really don't think Pickett could do in, in any universe? In this mythical offense that we all know does just these things, what part of it suggests Pickett has no chance to start for this team? I, I'm i not talking midseason replacement. I'm not talking injuries. I mean, are, are we certain that they really aren't fully set yet at this position? Do we know for certain Mitch Trubisky at $7.5 million, which is probably 40% lower than the average, not, uh, probably way more than the average, way lower than the average of a veteran starting quarterback in the NFL. They didn't even pay him anywhere near what the average is. So they know who he is on the market. The rest of the NFL seems to know who he is on the market because the Steelers signed him three and a half minutes after free agency started. I don't know if there was a competitor or not, but that's the contract he got. He signed it right away. So if, if he had talked to the Steelers, he probably talked to any team. Why is it that he is essentially being given the job unchecked, unchallenged. <clears throat> I don't quite get that. I'm going to dive into some relevant comments here. Mason confirmed we only saw a third of Canada's offense last year. So there's more to Canada's offense than what we saw last year. Is that possibly because there was such a, a, a lack of playmaking ability they drafted receivers in the second and fourth round. Is it because their starting quarterback position was so meek last season? They brought in a veteran and drafted two quarterbacks to go along with the incumbent that they gave an extension to the year before. All of these things being done for the sake of Canada's offense. It's nothing to do with the fact that they just don't have talent to run any offense. But I'm glad it's Canada's. I'm excited to see how that's going to work out. Tomlin said months ago he wants a vet at quarterback. Yes, I remember, in fact, talking on this show about that comment. And uh, much of that is the idea that he was more set on going with Rudolph Um leading into the following season, which is where we are now. Um, I think you'll ask around. There are not many NFL coaches that are going to say, barring the, the high-level prospect, they're usually going to say they'd rather have a veteran. And it, it has nothing to do with talent per se. What it really has to do with is the fact that they've been through it. They know the process. They know how to prepare They've been around it. They've heard all these things in three different languages, and they're fluent in all of it. They're comfortable. They're more relaxed. It doesn't necessarily mean in a specific situation that's the choice that they would make. But if you ask randomly in the middle of the season, like Tomlin was, he's going to say he'd rather have a veteran. Um, I don't think many coaches would, would at the 10,000-foot level, disagree with that. And there's a reason. It, it, the veteran gives you things that the rookie just can't. Um, that doesn't mean that you never start a rookie. That doesn't mean that a rookie can't be the better option at any point. It just means 
by and large, uh, without context of any kind, they'd probably rather go with the rookie or rather go with the veteran. And yeah, I don't, I don't have an issue with that. Um, this is to say, I'm not even suggesting Pickett should get the job. I don't know. We, we haven't seen him yet. But the thing that I, I've, and I've mentioned it here, and the thing that I really like about Pickett, I'll, I'll say this. I am not a, a, a follower at, at an intense level of college football. I don't watch it for the teams. I watch it for the pro prospects with the exception of eight-time defending FCS champion North Dakota State. They will walk through and win another one this year. Watch them. It's fun. They, they lay waste to pretty much everybody they play. It's not even entertaining anymore. But we still watch it and we get a big kick out of it. I don't watch Pitt football to see Pitt football advance to the ACC title game and win. I watch it to watch Kenny Pickett, Jordan Addison. Um, future pro players that I'm looking at them as, as prospects. I don't care who wins the game. I will say this though, having been in Pittsburgh at that point, Pickett became a, a, a celebrity in the town because of the success that they were having, but it was the, the way in which he did it. There, there's something to be said about that fearless, gutty quarterback leader type of guy that doesn't just win games it's like he it, it, it it's like he leads the men to advance on a hill and and take the the military position that's there it it's such a, a like a courageous battle with a guy like that you love watching players like that they inspire you they get you excited pickett has all of that and and then some he is very well liked everything i've heard inside uh, um the university of pittsburgh very well liked, very well respected by his teammates. One of them even told me everybody in this building would run through a wall for that guy. It takes a lot. And it's usually not the the, the 20, 21-year-old quarterback uh, who usually would get drafted second or third overall if he's freakishly talented that draws that kind of, of praise. That's somebody who's been around. That's somebody who's put in his time. That's somebody that everybody respects. And the thing with Pickett is he went the long way through this. There are quarterbacks that were drafted two years ago who are younger than Pickett is. He had to go through a lot of uh, the the adversity that comes with playing this game. And he did it at a non-professional level. So he's not being paid legally a, a lot of money up front. For him to have to go through that, it builds character. It builds leadership. It gives you a certain level of respect among the veteran players that he would be around if he was the starting quarterback. Nothing against Mitch Trubisky in that regard. Um, I'm not going to compare the two in that way. I just mean, from what you see of Pickett in, in the big moments, that's when your character is revealed as a player. You watch him against Clemson, and that was a huge game. Clemson may have fallen apart, but as far as Pitt was concerned, that was a huge game for that program. And at, at home, Huge weekend. Place was packed. I happened to be downtown at, at a wedding that weekend. There are Pitt and Clemson people everywhere. It was a, a great atmosphere, a lot of fun, and it was a great game. It was a lot of fun to watch. And Pickett balled out. He played a great game. Didn't have the, the statistical achievements that, that he was used to having at that point. But um, it, it's, it's a big game. He made the big plays in the big moments. Fast forward to uh, the ACC championship game. 
He's got one of the highlights of the year in college football, faking the dude out of the slide. Uh, keep in mind, that was, what, a 50-yard scramble anyway? Um, he made throws in that game that showed he belonged in the NFL. He stepped up in big moments and played well above what we perceive his individual skills to be. Um, a good friend of mine writes fantasy and draft stuff at NBC, and he and I disagree uh, pretty pretty obviously on uh, Kenny Pickett and his ability to play in the NFL. The one thing I keep saying to him, and I've, I've said it here a couple times, Kenny Pickett, the, the sum of Kenny Pickett's whole is greater than the sum of his parts. And I think some of the best quarterbacks that we see throughout history in the NFL, they're not always the top pick. They're not always top three picks. They're not always six five with with howitzers for right arms in other words they're not all josh allen they're not all justin herbert some of these guys you look at them individually for each component that makes it up they don't seem to be outstanding but when you put it all together and you get them out on the field the guy can play and to me Pickett feels like that so put him in a competition i'm i'm curious because none of you will, will question where I stand on, on Mitch Trubisky as a player. I'm not bashing him as a person. I'm not saying he's not going to be the starting quarterback or may, might even do kind of well. I'm, I'm really curious what Kenny Pickett is going to look like when he's out there in the NFL and he has the moment. He has the weight of the team on him. He's the guy that responds. He's the guy I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not going to bet much against. I'm not saying he's going to be a three-time MVP or anything like that. I'm saying he's a big-moment guy. I, I like players like that. I'm curious to see what Pickett will do. I'm excited to see what Pickett will do. Even if it's not this season that he does it. Look for him in the near future. Um, Maybe hashtag Canada's offense becomes Pickett's offense. And that's really what we're talking about this time next year. That's all I have as far as individual, or I, I, I should say uh, original content and conversation. Now I'm going to cherry pick your guys' comments here. I'm fairly certain at this point, Lance has gone to the beach. So... I feel like we can just sit here and talk about Lance the rest of the time. If you guys want to do that, working with Lance is absolute hell. So you guys, I'm sure are all fully aware. And this is interesting. I think there'd be a better chance of Kenny starting if he only had one other QB to compete against, but he also has to make two jumps with limited reps and limited preseason games, it will be tough. Um, why is Mason Rudolph by default the backup quarterback here? Mason Rudolph has the least utility of anybody on the team. Rudolph is there uh, in case a Steelers quarterback gets hurt. And his value increases for the Steelers if there is a backup or starter elsewhere in the NFL who gets hurt. If anything stick Rudolph in styrofoam and not let him walk on the field. You know, he's their insurance policy. You definitely don't want to risk him getting hurt. Obviously, you don't want to risk 
Pickett or Trubisky or anybody getting hurt. But the point is, Rudolph doesn't have any value playing for them anymore. He's only valuable if Pickett or Trubisky get injured or there's a backup or starter elsewhere in the NFL who gets injured. Then they can trade him or they need to keep him. That's the only reason he's there. Pickett will get his reps because if, if we can talk about this all day for this season, what matters for Pickett is next year. Next year is where Pickett is at his highest level of value, and it, it might be as soon as this year, but absolutely it's going to be next year. They didn't draft him 20 overall to have him compete with Trubisky in camp two years in a row. When you have two quarterbacks, you have none. Pickett is the guy they invested the long contract in. Trubisky becomes a very expensive backup next year. They drafted a quarterback in the seventh round probably to be a backup. So to be honest with you, Trubisky, in a lot of ways, Trubisky is not there next year unless he turns into an all-pro, which I'll tell you what, come back to the shows later on in the year if Mitch Trubisky is playing like an all-pro quarterback because I'm not sure what I'll be doing at that point, but uh, probably bringing about the end of the world. It, what we're going to see among the, the quarterback battle, it, it's really going to be Trubisky, it, certainly immediately, uh, with the ones. It, it's He's the odds-on favorite, but I, I don't think Pickett is going to be ignored in that way. They are not going to lock him in cement to the backup job. Rudolph, really, beyond preseason reps, which he'll get, like everybody, he is not going to increase in trade value, barring an injury. So making sure Rudolph is healthy is probably more important. I don't think there's much of a need to get Rudolph out there. Just like when when two baseball teams are organizing a trade for a player, they're not sure when it's going to go down. He doesn't play that day. They don't want to mess up the deal by getting him hurt. Rudolph, if they can find a, a, a trade partner, Rudolph will be traded. I don't know if that'll happen or not. If it doesn't, it's because of his contract, and they're going to cut him. If a team needs him, and it may two, maybe it's two teams that need to have him so they can compete against each other, there'll be a trade. The Steelers ideally would like to trade him. I don't think they're against cutting him because that might be the best move for him overall in, in trying to figure out where else he's going to go with his career. But they're not going to limit picket reps uh, in, in favor of Mason Rudolph right now. It just they, they're, There's no need to do that. You drafted him. He's got four cheap years for you, and he's already 24 years old. You need to get him out there. Rudolph would be the starter. Pickett wouldn't be there if they were completely set on Rudolph being their starter. He's not. He only has this year left on his contract. He's going to go. There's no point in giving him reps. So for me, you may as well go with Pickett there. It's a good comment, though. I get where you're coming from. Um, here's what comes up probably more than anything, and I wanted to get this originally, too. The offensive line as a whole cannot be good or the offensive line can be elite and you can still provide excellent protection or terrible protection. Protection as a whole is not on your offensive line entirely. There are a lot of people involved with that. And I, I might even argue it's more important than the offensive line is the quarterback. Quarterback is the one calling out the protections at the line. And it depends on the situation. But for the most part, that's what they're doing. They have to slide people over. They have to know who's coming where. They see that better than the offensive line does when they're down in a three-point stance. 
the quarterback has to know what the defense is doing to move the offensive line where they need to go. The idea of individual offensive linemen establishing increased protection for an entire unit is the most overrated and misunderstood concept in football. It's not how it works. And I'll tell you why. The Cincinnati Bengals were yelled at constantly, constantly, Joe Burrow's rookie season, because he was getting hit constantly. Okay, I'm going to use that word way too many times. You can see why I'm not in radio. Everybody screamed at him the entire offseason after he tore his ACL because he got hit. You need to fix your offensive line. You need to do this. Everything has to be about the team's offensive line. Instead, the Bengals did maybe the only – they made the only real decision that they knocked out of the park. Taking Joe Burrow is as obvious as as the day is long. Everyone knew they were going to take Joe Burrow. It was a no-brainer. Them drafting Jamar Chase at five overall instead of Penny Sewell, the, the highly regarded left tackle out of uh, uh, Oregon, that was the best decision that they made where there was actually a decision to be made. And it frustrated me because it announced that the Bengals are are for real and they're, they're going to be a good team because Jamar Chase is legitimately – the best college receiver I've ever seen. They got absolute free. He shouldn't have been available at five, in my opinion. There's no way the Bengals could pass on him. Having a good receiver and a quarterback who can work with a good receiver helps your protection. Having tight ends helps your protection. It's not about one player. I personally, I'm probably more like the Steelers are as far as protection goes. I don't, I don't think I want to spend a top seven pick on a left tackle. It's a huge money position, and there are so many reasonable left tackles at a, a quarter of the price down the line that can be a part of a good protection unit that, that also includes your running backs, your tight ends, and especially your quarterback. You can have a bad offensive line. Your offensive lineman may or may not be good. At the NFL level, it is most likely an entire unit, an entire scheme issue. With the Steelers, Najee Harris boosted the worst running back room in the NFL. Pat Fryermuth helped boost the worst tight end group in the NFL. There are two rookies that were added to catch and run with the ball and provide protection. It's not a question of Ben not being able to read the defense or anything like that. They had problems with talent. I I admit that, and it's not to suggest that those things aren't there, but your lack of protection is not on your offensive line. Joe Burrow, in the playoffs last year, was sacked by the Titans nine times. And if you go back and look at those sacks, to be honest, two-thirds of them were on him. There were times he didn't recognize the obvious blitz that was coming from Tennessee. And at that point, um, Mike Rabel, the the Titans head coach and defensive play caller, was throwing everything at him because everything was landing. He was under pressure all the time. Burrow put trips on one side one time and ignored an overload on the other side. So there were three guys coming at him with the strength of of his uh, passing game opposite of that. You don't want to do that as a quarterback. I don't think Joe Burrow reads uh, pressure very well. 
that's not on your offensive tackle. That's on your quarterback. That's on your quarterback's coach, and that's on your offensive coordinator. We'll we'll talk about the Bengals in, in a later episode, but you don't fix protection solely by drafting good offensive linemen. It's a lot of things that go into it. So, yes, Ben didn't play well, but a lot of that is on Ben, not on the offensive line specifically. It's on the scheme as a whole, as their offense. They had a lot of holes, not just offensive linemen, not just a, a no-arm quarterback, not just inexperienced running backs and, and tight ends. They had a lot of problems on offense. It's not any one thing. Uh, one more. What else we got? Don't care if Burrow is athletic enough to avoid them. He took nine sacks in a playoff game and won because their defense stood on their head for four quarters. Nobody nobody gives the, the Bengals defense nearly enough credit for the run that they just had in the playoffs. That was masterful. A, a beautiful job by them. Tennessee should have won that game. Cincinnati's defense had to stand on its head the entire time. You, you can't sack a quarterback nine times and lose. You just can't. Burrow did not play well in that game. Burrow didn't play well in the playoffs. And everyone's making him out to be like he's he's the next Tom Brady. Burrow did not play well in the playoffs. Not play well in the Super Bowl. Um, they did a great job defensively. Masterful job. Can they repeat that? It'll be fun to watch. In the future, I think... Lance will be back eventually from his top secret assignment somewhere in the third world. We're going to get into probably some divisional comparison stuff. We are going to break down their salary cap position. What we're looking at this season, pretty healthy. What we're looking at next season, pretty healthy. Where that money is going to need to go and some of the biggest challenges, new general manager Omar Khan will be facing immediately and in the next three or so years with the Steelers. That said, once again, happy Father's Day to everybody out there who's celebrating. I am. I am extremely excited to be a father, and I'm excited to enjoy my day tomorrow in the sweltering heat of Minnesota coming in. But thank you all for hanging out. I uh, I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I am Neil Kulong. I am the co-host of the New Standard Podcast, along with Lance Williams, who was out on assignment. I appreciate you guys listening, and uh, tune in next week. We'll be back.